You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. So Amina, for those who haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. Sure. My name is Amina Abubakar, and I'm a pharmacist and a pharmacy owner of uh, three independent pharmacies here in the Charlotte area. And I also am the president of Avant Institute, which is a platform that we teach clinical services. As an independent pharmacy owner, about five or six years ago, my business transitioned from uh, product to services. So our revenue is about 70% clinical services and 30% product services. I didn't know you own three pharmacies. How far are they apart? So two of them are embedded in a medical practice. And that's why people don't see it visibly. Mm. And then one is a standalone in the community that serves a variety of medical practices. So over time, as I was forming these partnerships with medical providers, they saw a stronger um, like strength in our pharmacy being specifically in their practice. So those two are really kind of like an ambulatory care service extension of a medical practice. How far are those three apart? Are the two in the building? That They're not in the same no, building, so, I take Yeah, it. so the two between our main location and one of the clinics, it's about five miles. And then the other one is about maybe 15 miles or so. My dad had a few pharmacies, and we never did. By the time I was in the business, we were down to one. And I always wanted to have more than one pharmacy so I could hide. Because <laughs> then nobody would know where I was. Yes. <laughs> now, Amina, I love some hard numbers you gave to us right there. One of them is that you own three pharmacies, and that's cool, because this isn't coming from a theoretical position, right? You own these three pharmacies. The bigger number, though, is 70% of your revenue Revenue, yes, is coming from clinical. Yes. Wow. All right, so you're the person to listen to. I'm going to pull my chair up and just listen here. I'm not going to talk at all today. No, that's impossible. <laughs> 70%. What's the ultimate goal? You know, when I first started, my goal was 100%. Because I was struggling understanding the business of pharmacy when it came to the product. And uh, when I came out of pharmacy school, I was highly clinical, hmm. you know, but I took the opportunity or it was only my, my only option was to go into retail, you know, because of just circumstances. But if I had it my way, I would have done a residency and I would have gone down the clinical route. So... Just because I started in um, the retail or the community side, my brain never stopped looking for means that I knew I could bring value to patients. What I didn't know was opening an independent pharmacy was a whole different ball game. And I remember telling myself, Amina, you did really well in calculus and pharmaceutics and all this math, but you can't figure out a wholesaler's math to see if you can make money or not. So I had the desire to just use my clinical knowledge in uh, in my business. So my goal was really to do 100%, but uh, 70% is still good because these patients that we offer clinical services, the doctors want them to stay with us and feel product as well. 
we have to be very easy on ourselves when we're dealing with pharmacy wholesalers because on purpose, they've got these smoke and mirror set up. And my listeners have heard me complain before, but we've been in business for 75 years at our pharmacy. And when my wholesaler used to come in, I would plop down a bottle of, you know, let's say a big bottle of ibuprofen. I'd make a big heavy one on purpose so I could, you know, thump it down on the desk. And I would say, I'm doing, you know, X million dollars a year from you guys. And I'm not some guy walking in off the street to a used car lot. I mean, you guys know me. I do a ton of business. I do all my business with you. And you can't tell me how much is this bottle of ibuprofen? And they're like, well, we can't tell you because, you know, we've got to look at the rebate and this month, this and wait till this comes in and all. And I'm like, that's baloney. I said, you guys, oh, you know, maybe he didn't know it as a rep. But to not be able to get an answer when you're doing millions of dollars with somebody, that's smoke and mirrors. So you don't need an excuse why you weren't able to figure out the business part of this. Because on purpose, it'd be like having a calculus test or something and they're hiding part of the information. You need to come up with an answer. It's impossible. Yes. And I was missing the button to push. <laughs> <laughs> there was no button there, you know. And so you can see where my drive came from was this other way is hard, you know, and what can I do that I know I control 100% and it's my labor, it's my time. So that became my focus, to do things that at, at most, I can predict what my cost is. Right. And this is fixed. And so by taking on that journey, I want to share with you that it went from just me being the pharmacist and I remember hiring the first clinical pharmacist because I wanted to get off the bench and be able to focus on this. And this was about in 2015, 2014 or 2015, when I hired the first clinical pharmacist and I said to her, I said, we have to figure this out, okay? So the reason why I'm bringing you on, I can't even afford you yet. But I also know I don't have alternatives. So by you coming on board, we are going together to, to do this. So going back in a timeline, now we are in 2021, we have 18 pharmacists. Wow. And only, I would say, five FTEs are in the product side. Back up a little bit. When you said to your first employee, your first pharmacist, when you said, we've got to figure this out, was that more of a call of bravery to take on this challenge? Or was there actually a reason why you knew you couldn't make it on the product side? How did you know so much that you didn't want to, I know you were based on more clinical, but how did you not fall into the temptation to make it product? How were you able to tell her, we have to go clinical, and how can you tell me now that you had to go clinical? It seems like the temptation would have been there, was it? What was the actual reason you couldn't go product? Well, Mike, you're going to have to invite me again. <laughs> we can just talk about how my mind works and how I visualize things. And once I visualize them, gotcha. then I have to make it work. So it comes from a personality that I have. I'll tell you this, at the age of 14 years old, I told my family, I would leave Africa. I don't want to live here anymore. And I'm going to go to a country that has 
dishwasher so I don't have to wash with my hand. They will have washing machines. And I had never seen those, but I knew there had to be a better way. Yeah. And so every time I would come home from school and I would have to do those chores, I would think there has to be a better way of doing this. So I would bring it to life and I would speak to it. And I remember when I, when I landed in the U.S. and I saw these things, I had never seen them in my life. No one had had them in my family. We never had a dishwasher or, but I knew there has to be an easier way to do things. So I always have that feeling that why not, you know? So that's my drive, you know? When I saw that this was difficult, but I knew all the stuff that I had been taught and I've watched the vertical integration of clinical pharmacists hired in the system. So I know it exists, but it may not exist in an independent pharmacy world and I'm willing to make it work. Ah, so that explains it then, Amina. So your vision was so focused that the product wasn't an option. You were able to say, we have to go clinical. Yes, and because at the same time in our area, mail order had started increasing. They were pharmacies that uh, were serving a lot of patients from the city of Charlotte, and mm -hmm. then CVS Caremark took over, and those patients had to use CVS. So I knew it wasn't a winning battle because I couldn't really control it. It doesn't matter that the patients want to choose us. So there's one way right. you're not making money on the product, but the other way that patients that you could make money on, they cannot come to you. Yeah, exactly. So I just knew that was just a hard. So I started looking at what else I could do as a pharmacist. All right. So... How does this work out then? We're all drooling here, Amina, and I know this is years and years of research and practice mixed into my simple little question there, but everybody listening says, well, how? So how? What I found out is medical providers, especially independent doctors, have a similarity with independent pharmacy owners. But we have never dialogued, okay? The only relationship we have is like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I have a pharmacy, here's my flyer, we deliver, you know? Uh, please send your patients. And that's the only relationship. Or then you get closer to where they like you, they rely on you, they call your pharmacy to ask all these complex patients, they send you complex patients to help them because they trust you, they like you. And so that's where farm independent pharmacy owners and independent doctors have just kept their relationship. No one has really crossed the path and say, hey, let me tell you the truth about my business. And I would like to hear the truth about your business. Do you feel how I feel that I went to pharmacy school and I now own a, a, a pharmacy, but there are forces outside of me that could actually hurt me? You know, so I went out and that was the first dialogue I had. I was curious, you know, I was curious to see and hear from independent doctors how they felt about their business. How do you know a doctor is independent? I think I know the answer, but how do you know when you're looking up a doctor's name? Is it just because they don't have the, I don't know, the group logo on their 
business? Yeah, they, yeah. So a lot of, you know, you hear the, the name of it isn't part of the health system around us. Uh, though that's changing because some of them have sold their practices to the health systems and they still have uh, their name. But then you'll see a sign here in Charlotte, you'll see a big yeah, N, which yeah. means they're part of the Novant Health, you know, or you'll see the, the atrium. But you see, and that's changing. And if you look at it's very similar to our independent pharmacies that we feel like we can't survive. So our option is to sell back to the chains. And the independent docs is the same way. So because I started this uh, quite a long time ago, I knew those that were independent because they filled prescriptions at our pharmacy or their family, you know. So you you know that, but our relationship was just that. And they're facing the same struggles, it sounds like you said. And that's when I learned because at first I didn't know, but I was just curious. And so when my first dialogue, it they... This one doctor told me, let me tell you, I quit every day, Amina. It's hard. We don't get the same contracts as the health systems. And I was like, oh, here goes a similarity. And um, he said, and every day they knock on my door telling me that I can't survive, that I need to sell to them. I was like, oh, let me show yeah. you my letters that come from this. And I, we, we started talking about how similar we were. And yet we are fighting these battles by ourselves. Right. And so I was like, okay. And then we got into more business related things. And they had the same issues I had of learning how to take care of your books. You know, they have as limited resources as we do because I was the visionary, I was the owner, I was the pharmacist, and I would take my work at home and try to finish the office-related things. And yeah. they had the same thing because, you know, either it was their spouse that was the bookkeeper or the front desk. So it was a family, right? So you're relating to them and no better way to relate than, I mean, not forever, but then to commiserate with your... Yes. problems, right? Yes, exactly. And but I was really curious. Yeah, you were just curious. I was curious to see if you know, their life was better than mine. <laughs> before I met. The, and so through that, I was like, this is it. We are partners. We are partners that don't have to be vertically integrated. Wow, we can look at these systems that have already been built. Okay, Pharmacists, I did rotations in pharmacy school where pharmacists were instrumental to these medical providers, but they were part of the system. Hmm. So I said, I'm going to go and research if there is anything that we can do together that's legal, you know, and that we can both survive and help each other. And that's just how it started. And he's like, sure, I'm open to. And at the same time as I followed this method or understanding of their world, it was the very beginning of ours also learning about you have star ratings are coming in pharmacy. And they said, oh, yes, we are now going to have quality measures and outcomes, you know, and we're going to move in towards value-based and the provider was like, you know what hurts the most about it? Unless I take a patient home with me and I feed them their pills every day, I'm never going to win. And I was like, let me tell you about us. If you don't put the patient on a statin, I get dinged. And he was like, what? 
that's illegal. You don't prescribe. I was like, so you understand that wow. we're, right. you know, we're being measured and penalized on things we don't control. But I'll tell you something, doc. Those patients, instead of you taking them to your house and feed them and give them pills, I make phone calls. We have delivery drivers. We bubble pack. We do all these things, but we don't get paid extra for it. But now I'm starting to see that all the work that I do is very valuable to him. But how can he pay me? So my research started going further and we found a way that I could do all these services for them. They could bill for these services and pay me. Interesting. Backing up a second here. People listening to this are going to say, well, Amina, well, that's fine. You're out in the country in the in the Hicks and and everybody's a family doctor there, but I know where you're from. I mean, down in North Carolina, there's you're a couple hours from, I guess, what do they call it, the Triangle? Mm-hmm. If any place has these huge vertical integrations, it's got to be around where you are, right? With all the schools yes. and hospital and all that. So it's not like you're in a necessarily a special part of the country able to do this. You're You're pretty much in the thick of it, aren't you? I'm in the thick of it. Yes. What do you have there? We have Novant and Atrium. This is these are the big, uh, biggest and largest health systems that we have, and they're actually fewer docs. So what pharmacists have to understand, you don't need many doctors to be successful. You see, that's important to notice. You could just have one medical provider, and as you start having those partnerships. You start with a few services and you expand. Uh, we've had relationships where a 200 patient base that we manage is sufficient for us to have one FTE because of everything that we can do with those patients. Because we realize on the medical side, they have a book of codes and services that the doctors don't even touch them. They don't even have time to do that work for those patients but they're allowed to contract out or hire a clinical staff that can work on those. So the opportunity is there, but a lot of these providers, once we go in, they're used to only offering the services that they've always offered, which is, okay, here's Mike coming in, he's sick, here's an office visit, and they leave it at that. But as we've entered value-based medicine, there are tons and tons of codes that are allowing these medical providers to engage with these patients for preventative care, to engage with these patients on a wellness side. How long was it when you started this? I mean, you must have been thinking, where's my next meal coming from, to then think about this and then able to get this going were there some pretty barren times or did this come together quickly once you knew that this was it, you had to make it or break it? So at a small scale, it was quick because as soon as we found those codes, you know, and I thank God and Google because I had to try to piecemeal piece it, right? And I found some information from articles that said pharmacists are paying their way using annual wellness visits. They were published by UNC Chapel Hill, but it was a vertical integration. So I took that information, test piloted with one of our providers, 
and bam, we got paid. So right at that moment, that was good, but the scalability is what we've suffered through to get it right. I take it then that they're able to bill for these another company. You're not their employees. You're still your own pharmacy doing this? Yes. So what it is is that um, historically medical providers, as long as they're in charge of the patient, overall patient, they're allowed to hire, lease, or contract out parts of their service sets. For example, they could bring a nutritionist in who could take Mm. care and see their patients, manage nutrition, and then they could bill for that. So it's a, it's a model that already exists. And so, or they could bring a specialist. I've seen primary care that would bring a pain specialist uh, or a psychiatrist or a social worker to take care of patients with a substance use disorder. So those methods already exist where you don't have to hire everyone right? But you could. So I started using that model in designing our pharmacist as that specialist who can come in. Why do they allow that? Just because they probably know it's going to be hard to have eight different people billing for this. And they say, well, just have the doctor do it and you can work through the doctor and the doctor will bill it. Is that why they do it for ease? Why do they allow that? They allow that because sometimes you only need that specialist a few times a month so they don't have to be your employee you know and it allows this specialist to go to several different places i understand the employee but why wouldn't the government say okay if they're not your employee well then let's have that people bill us directly why doesn't the government demand that you bill them directly why do they allow that through the doctor sure they don't demand it because I think options are better. Gotcha. And having options. So it doesn't mean you couldn't do it the other way. You could send out, you know, to a psychiatrist and a psychiatrist will bill for it. But a lot of these value-based models that are existing is you want to contain cost. So billing through a primary care is a lot less expensive than billing through a specialist. So you could you could pay the specialist a day or an hourly rate or however, but you're billing as a primary care, which attracts more people to to go for those services because specialist co-pays are higher. Oh, that's interesting, right? Yeah, so I saw this example. One of the clinics, we have an HIV specialist, and he told us, let's not make this an HIV specialist. Let's make this a primary care. Mm. So the patient's co-pays are lower oh. and they can come more frequently than for us to bill as a specialist. But I'm part of this team and it's okay if we bill under primary care with HIV specialty. Wow. So that's kind of how my education, I've learned a lot. Hanging out with these docs has just expanded my knowledge base. And all I do is I take that and I apply it to our world. There will be payment if this is done right, because the doctor's already doing it. It's part of their system they've been doing for decades and decades. Mike, this is my business. (laughs) You know, that means we are getting paid and we are growing. Yeah, well, with 18 full-time pharmacists. Yes, you can expect that that payroll is not easy, but they grow these services, we get paid, and we love it. 
And so, yes, but it's what people don't understand is those intricacies, right, Mm -hmm. of how to apply it. Because I've been to CEs and I listen to it for an hour and I look at one of our pharmacists and and I ask them, how many people do you think are going to leave this CE and be able to execute? That's what it is. Yes. And we laugh because there are so many things that the person did not share. So in order for people to be successful, it's not the shiny. It's not that, oh, this is cool. I'm doing this clinical services. If you aren't getting paid, it's not helping us. And now you will see why Avant Institute was built. It wasn't built because we had a lot of time and that we want to go out there and just teach or have courses online. It was really to find people that said, I want to make this a business. You're not out there to say, I'm Amina and I don't have any employees and I've got like 40% of my day empty. And so I'm going to start up a consulting business so I can make some more money. This is like, we've got 18 FTEs and we're going to show you how it's done. Yes. And I'm going to show you where you're going to fail. And if you don't listen, you are going to fail. So I'm going to tell you how you don't lose X number of dollars that we lost because we didn't know this one thing, or we didn't know how this relationship could really unlock it. Just like the whole specialty, how this whole thing works. It's, it's really taking the medical world, digesting it and reverse engineer it into this new relationship that we have and it works if i ask this of a lot of people why do you do this avant institute somebody's going to say well we want to give back we want to do this for the world we're good people and so on but this avant institute why do you do it i know it's a business but are you going to make a lot of money by teaching other people this because there's so much want and desire now amina i'm not going to let you sit here and tell me you're doing it just out of the goodness of your heart no i'm doing it because We saw many people failing after investing tons and tons of money, okay? And then coming to me and say, Amina, do you have 15 minutes? Or I have a quick question. I tried to do this service and it failed. And I told myself, even if I give them an hour of my time, they are not going to be able to be successful. Gotcha. Because of the question they just asked me, they don't know what's underneath this, right? They don't know all the failings. Yes, it's an iceberg. All they saw was the top and they got the codes we do are free. They're Medicare Learning Network. You can have the codes. It's Medicare. It's public. But how to make it work and how to make it work as a business and how to help scale and all that, it's a whole different, it's underneath it. So the reason why, so people would then say, can I come and shadow you? Can I come? So we weren't available to be there for everyone. So I sat down with our pharmacists and say, listen, when I go out there, this is what I see. And these are hardworking people with relationships with these doctors. They don't know how to make it work. So what I'm going to do is we're going to buy time. I'm going to stop you from being in the clinic and I'm going to put you to be a, a trainer. Okay which again, it's a trade-off of, because they would say, Amina, if we do this, I want to be in the clinic. That's how my productivity works. And I said, no, we're going to do a swap. So if we book you to be a trainer, or if I find a pharmacist or a pharmacy owner similar to your clinic, then I'm going to match you and you're going to coach them. And that's how we started. So it's really the functionality of us being available, because otherwise we have to work on our business. 
Yeah, you're doing a disservice too. If, if you talk to someone just for an hour, you're doing them a disservice. You're giving them a, almost like an, enough rope to hang themselves if you don't give them more than an hour. And you'll, you'll, if you talk to people we've trained, I've asked them two questions. Do you want to do this as a business or you want to be inspired? Because those are two different pathways, okay? If you right. want to be inspired, then I can talk to you for 15, 20 minutes and I can tell you all the stuff that we do. But if you want to do it this as a business, then right. you have to be fully immersed and fully engaged in how we start from the why to the what to the how. And that's a different training. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm trying to think like if I started a Vaughn Institute, I can see doing it. Well, it's like this podcast has a couple different things to it. I enjoy doing it. That's number one. And I, maybe I'm helping some, maybe helping some people or the future. Someday I might monetize it. There's probably a few different reasons. If I was doing a Vaughn Institute, I might have similar reasons. I might be doing it for the future of pharmacy. I might be doing it for my own business. But the other thing I might say is, I'm not going to give my secrets away. I'm just going to grow RX Clinic Pharmacy to like a hundred of these and screw everybody else on the East Coast. You could do that too, right? Yes, I could do that. But you know why I don't do that? Why not? I don't do that because... These services are relationship-based if you want them to work, mm. okay? Healthcare, I'm a fundamental believer of healthcare is delivered best locally. Gotcha. Okay? And so I want it to be that ecosystem, mm. right? That ecosystem that every community has these hubs, right? That you understand the patient's dialects, you understand the resources in your community. So it really is more sustainable rather than me becoming the mail order of clinical services. I'm not going to do a good job. That's what I think I was trying to get at. Because if I look at a different business, because I can see we already talked about someone doing it who maybe just had time on their hands and said, hey, I'm going to be a consultant. I'll make enough money that way. You don't need that. You're doing fine with the RX clinic. Correct. And then the opposite of that would be taking this and saying, well, I'm not going to give away my secrets. I'm going to make this into a huge business of RX clinic pharmacies across the country. So that was the answer where this is almost like I know you're not going down this road. It's almost like a franchise in a way, only in the sense that you can't do it well by owning a hundred of these pharmacies across the country. Let's say you, you needed to pull money out of this idea to pay you for your research on this. The best way to do it is Avon Institute, because this is only going to be successful for smaller pharmacies, smaller companies. And you wouldn't do well going into 100 pharmacies across the country as the owner. Exactly. And that's just my philosophy. Someone else could look at this and be able to do that. But I have found the more I've worked with our local providers, the deeper the relationships are. We are part of this community. We are now partnering in more ways than I ever dreamed of. So within one practice, we are finding deeper meaning. Actually, I'm helping them grow their practices Right. Right. So one partner we had, they went from in 2015, one provider, okay, maybe three FTEs 
to 35 in three locations. Why? Because now I'm part of that business, I'm part of that board, and I'm part of that. Let's drive this. The more patients you bring in, the more work we get to do. So in partnerships, don't be afraid to scale. So I help my partners scale up rather than me trying to spread myself thin. So through Avant Institute, as I said, Mike, let me teach you to do it in your community. You already have low-hanging fruit. You probably have low, you said, you know, you guys have been in business uh, all these years. You have doctors in your area. Do it right, and I'll help you. But also through Avant Institute, I'll tell you how my expansion has come. I've had people call, they've come to the training, and they call me back and say, Amina, I'm not going to be where you are anytime soon because my attention, my pharmacy is still my number one attention and I cannot leave it. What I gotcha. want from you is I have the relationship, you have the expertise. Okay? I'm going to bring you to the table and we partner. So I've done a few of those where they are mm. like, for, so for me, managing several more pharmacists in the same way doesn't add any more to me headache because um, it's the scalability is there now. I know how to right. do that. And you know what? They're bringing me to the table in their community as a partner. So we now go in half and half on the pharmacist cost. They have the relationship mm. and the patients and I bring the expertise and we've done phenomenal. So I've just done that in our neighboring state, South Carolina. And oh. uh, yes, we've now just hired our third pharmacist there. And we just started this year. I mean, 2020 during the pandemic. <laughs> wow. All right. Because that's where my mind was going. It's yes. like the whole thing. I didn't mean to make it sound like you weren't just a nice person, but I <laughs> thought money evens out the score. It's a scorecard, you know, with all this crap you got going on in your um, crap, good crap, all this <laughs> excitement busy. going on, yes. the busyness, with all this busyness, I was looking for that reason of spreading this information, and, and that's really cool. That's who brought you to the dance, meeting a local right. doctor and saying, I'm local and small too, you know, so that's where you start. But then that's really interesting too, that secondary of partnering with people. How far is that going to go? Yeah. And I never even thought about it until he was a graduate of our class. And he said, listen, I went back with this material and my docs are in, but I don't think I can be where you are as fast as I want to. So this is my, so, but I had to think through and, you know, and, and cause I like to be hands on. So South Carolina was close enough. For me, I drive there, I meet with the providers, we have meetings, we are growing, strategic. So I'm really hands-on with this. And remember, when I started this, Mike, I just wanted to save my little pharmacy. <laughs> That's all I wanted was like, I have to save me. <laughs> it seems like the next step would be somebody that you have, instead of you going to South Carolina, now you're sending one of your employees somewhere else would that be the next step where amina doesn't go but one of your employees goes so instead of them spending a few hours training in avant they're actually then going and becoming these partners through you yes and uh, we're open to that 
You know, we're open to that. And I know I have been criticized in the industry that I've kept every resident, but they don't want to leave. So it's not me. Right. It's not you. <laughs> they don't want to leave. Right. So so I'll tell you what that has led us to. This is a, I'm glad you asked this question. So we were a part of a residency program, fellowship program. We've kept every resident and every fellow because wow. they're able to come in. We get a clinic, they open it, they love it. It's their business. They're generating enough money and they have a salary out of it. They stay. So now people started telling me, Amina, this isn't helping us. You need to cross pollinate <laughs> that knowledge so we could hire these folks. Yeah. So what we've just done, and it's starting this year, Avant Institute has our own fellowship now mm. with the intention of us bringing the folks in they work with us for a year and we send them to everyone else. Wow, that's really cool. So we've started a fellowship. Just so everybody's understanding this, give me an example of just a patient goes to the doctor, needs this. How does your pharmacist then enter the picture? Where do they do it? Are they doing it on your property or the doctor's property? And then finally, how does that communication get to the sure. doctor and the billing and so on? Okay, so depending on the services that we are offering, there's a supervision role. So we have services that require general supervision. That means we can do it outside of the medical mm. practice. So we do it in our pharmacy. We have our pharmacists that are working from home. It can be done remotely. And these are those monthly touch points, if you want to call it coaching of behavior, that you're working with these patients every single month, 20 minutes at a minimum with okay. a patient. So we do that. And we don't have a physical location that we have to. But because some of those patients are patients we fill prescriptions for, we have entered it into our workflow. Okay, so our workflow is now designed sending patients um, for our remote patient monitoring, for example. Our drivers deliver the devices of scale, blood pressure, blood sugar to the patient's home. Data comes into our pharmacies and pharmacy technicians. They monitor. We have intervention. We document in our um, clinical platform that we have. And then we send the urgent messages to the providers if they need to act on. And if not, then at the end of the month, they get a summary that goes to the patient's chart. So when a patient comes in for a visit, the provider can skim through it and say, oh, I see you've been working with RX Clinic mm. on, on these uh, initiatives. So that's one. And we do those for our behavioral health integration, our remote patient monitoring, and our chronic care management. Those three services are general supervision. Then we have services that require direct supervision. And that means we have to perform these services within the premise of the medical provider. And this is our annual wellness visit. And now we've grown into our pharmacists are seeing patients for substance use disorder. They are seeing patients for HIV, PrEP, and PAP. So the services just became more and more, but they're doing those within the medical provider. And we call them co-visit models. That within that one hour, this practice is generating a lot more money because we are letting the provider work at the top of their license with seeing patients and diagnosing. But at the same time, the pharmacists are bringing in patients for these services under direct supervision. So per hour, we're generating a lot more money than the provider by themselves. 
And those have to be like, there's some billing stuff that says once a year, this has to be done in person, that kind of stuff. Correct. So annual wellness visit is once a year under the patient, but also for our Medicare patients that we see them for weight loss, it's called IBT, intensive behavioral therapy for uh, weight loss, intensive behavior. Ah, there's that weight loss again. Uh, Mina, I said it last show too. You guys always bring up weight loss. I know all my uh, guests have gotten together for an intervention for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we were bringing for these services that require face-to-face and they require to be done within the practitioner's premises. But with COVID, a lot has changed. So during the, uh, the pandemic, we've been able to do a lot of those visits virtually, though. I told a customer this morning, patient customer this morning, I said that COVID has sped up technology in healthcare by 10 years. I just threw that figure yes. out because you know, doctors, the medical profession, you know, they're quick in some ways. Pharmacy was quick, but other, other areas of healthcare is pretty slow. I think it sped stuff up though with telemedicine and mm-hmm. online visits and all that stuff. Would you say that? Yes. And we saw that how quickly a lot of our practices had to adapt. Yeah. And if they didn't, they'd be in trouble and the patients would be yes. in trouble. But I'm really glad where technology is going. We've had more touch points, uh, less less no-shows because patients are at home, convenient. But I'm still watching it. We are having some patients have a burnout of uh, virtual visits mm. because they are also virtually working and they're asking to come in because of social isolation. Oh, is that right? So while it's exploded... I'm also seeing some of the patients saying, I need a human connection because I do Zoom school with my kids and I do Zoom office visits. Now I'm doing the provider. Can I come in now? Well, I mean, if you think about a doctor's visit, a lot of these people, if they're lonely, I mean, you think about going in there and the doctor, you know, puts their hand on your back or whatever the doctor does, you know, but there's there's a physicalness there that... Uh, you take it away from people. It's an odd thing. So those are the services. And by doing these services now, which is even more cool, is that the payers are asking our clinics, how are you guys achieving these goals? You know, because they are comparing to similar practices and they're seeing that these practices are outperforming. So then now I'm in the uh, meeting rooms with payers that are giving us the dashboards to say, hey, these are the patients that are costing us hospitalizations. Could you guys work on it? So I love the... um, the growth of this organically. And that's why I can't be everywhere because in each practice, remember I said one practice could be sufficient. A subset of patients could be sufficient because you're going, it's like a Pandora's box. You're going to find so much more that can be done that was never being done. Are you going to get burned out? No, because I get to do the fun stuff now. Talk, teach, mentor our team. And you force the other stuff away from you. Yeah, so I'm more now in our company, I'm more chief of vision and happiness, right? Right. Then we have a business strategist and we have directors of different programs. So the team is growing and they're taking on leadership. So we have a we have a good team. At what point did you say, I need these other leaders? Yes, I was drowning. I was exhausted and I didn't know that that's what I needed. Mm. 
and uh, I'm a believer of uh, I've always invested in getting a business coach to look at my business and so we invested and got what is called a business x-ray hmm. right and through the business x-ray I was told that our business was stage three and in stage three I now have a leadership to staff gap that everybody's coming to me mm. and then I needed to work on delegation. And that's why I was uh, what they call a flood zone. Okay. So I was going through a flood zone. There's, it's a lot for me, but I know I have to do it. So that was uh, good to step away and look at my business as an x-ray and get my diagnosis, if you want to call it. And that's when I, uh, I knew that delegation became the next stage for our business. How long did the x-ray team look at you? How long of a process was that to talk to you and to help you? It was a three-day weekend. It was a three-day weekend. They sent a survey to all of our team, and they asked several questions, and then they uh, got all the results, and then they met with me and just presented the good, the bad, the ugly that I needed to hear, how they were feeling, yeah. <laughs> how things were happening, and it was good. And so I'm, I'm a, I like doing stuff like that. How did you then implement that? Their suggestions, this consultants that you hired, did they help you implement that or did you just, I mean, because then you had to hire people, right? You had to get this Correct. in place and so on. How did that come about then? Yeah, so once I knew that I needed, uh, I'm a visionary yeah. and based on the x-ray, I was spending hyper amount of time in vision that hmm. I actually needed to spend in management. So I needed to reverse. So they call it like a crystal ball. So I can't continue in vision mode. I'm going to burn out my staff because oh. every day I have a new idea. Every day I have a new idea. And I was told that I needed to spend 70% of my time managing. But I was like, no. They were like, if not, then you have to hire a manager. So that was a trade-off. Like, Amina, either you can now follow the x-ray and be 70% manager 10% vision. You've, you know, you've spent, you got here because you always spent 100% in vision. That's right. why you got here really fast. Yeah. But this is not sustainable. At different stages, you have to change. So when I said that I'm not going to change because I'm not going to stop dreaming, right. then they told me then you need to bring an integrator, someone who could manage the team, and you work with them and so they can grow the team. So that's when we hired our first which we call him chief of business and strategy. So I dream it, I go to him and he says, okay, I see where, what, what you want to do. Let me work with the team, see who's available. What. So that has worked out really good. And from him, we now have grown our directors of different programs. He helped set that up. Yeah, so I just have to deal with him. <laughs> no, he just has to deal with you. <laughs> Yes, I know. He always leaves the meetings like, oh, my God, <laughs> you need to interview him and he'll tell you all the secrets <laughs> of how crazy it is behind the scenes. How did you hire him, actually? Did you hire him or did, did your x-ray team help? No, I hired him because uh, the first clinical pharmacist that I had hired uh, knew him. And he was uh, one of uh, leaders in the uh, pharmacy fraternity, and he had seen him. And he was like, you know, he's a blend of you and me. So I was vision. Our first clinical pharmacist was very integration, and that's why we were very good together and successful. And she said, he's a hybrid of me and you, and I think he'll be able to, to help us. And so I met with him. 
and I liked uh, his experience. He came from Walmart, so I knew we needed some level of corporate structure, but not necessarily mm. be corporate, but they were things that key things that we needed to have in place. So we brought him on board after several discussions and uh, he's done fantastic and we couldn't be happier. That's great. If I was in that position and somebody was that good for me, because he's really cleared your day up a lot and your life up a lot, right? Yes. I'd always be afraid of losing someone like that. Could you replace him? He's not supposed to listen to this, but if he's good, I'm always like, oh. Here's the difference. Just because someone is good, I've always been a believer from 10 years ago or maybe eight years ago, I still have to build systems. So the systems aren't built around the person, right? Right, exactly. So whatever he does, we are systematizing it because I see him growing into a different role and someone has to go into his role. So if God forbid, and not just losing him because he's going somewhere else, but... Yeah, he could lose on the upside. Right, you know, I could need him to grow and move yeah. into a different territory for us or different uh, products, projects that we are doing. And that has been happening. So we, he's been grooming one of our PICs. We told her not to be a PIC. Now she moved from director of op- to director of operation and compliance. So I see that. But every, everything we do in our pharmacy, there's a system. That's great advice. And there's a book out years ago. I read it. It's called The E-Myth Manager, E-Myth Revisited, Michael Gerber. Oh, yes, E-Myth, the reason why small businesses fail. That was my first eye-opening experience. And in there, they say that even if you're in a role, let's say your business is growing and, you know, you've got yourself and two others in the business, but you can picture within like, you know, a year there being like eight people in the business. Well, start thinking, okay, for this hour, I'm doing this task. And yes, I'm doing it, but this is really a task that should be done by, you know, the CMO or the CFO or the COO, whatever. Well, pretend you're in that position start writing some stuff out and start saying, this is a position. Well, you're still doing it, but you're creating these positions along the way. And that's what you're doing with your guy. It's like, yeah, he's a good guy, but He's also a position that you're then making, you know, whether it's job descriptions, diagrams, all this kind of stuff, because who knows what's going to happen to someone. God forbid it's an accident or something that takes somebody away from us. When you're doing stuff like you're doing, it's positions and processes, not just people. It's good people and great systems. Correct. And so now we've even outgrown Google Sheets and uh, and those things. So we have, we've just done an internal intranet. So you could create on that position. It will give you the position description, who you can go to for this thing. So yes, we have been working on systems this whole last year. Not just systems to write them up, but we're now housing them in an intranet with the access. I always think like I'm going to get organized. I'm fairly organized, but I always think I'm going to get organized. And like, three years goes by and I'm like, I thought I had a great system. Why the <laughs> hell did I not have that PDF of something? Like, where did that go? You know, I can't believe I don't yes. have that. So Amina, don't give any of your secrets away, but let's hear some of that vision. What do we got going? What do we got cooking up? What we're cooking up right now is uh, we are moving to our forever home for our medical, um, for our pharmacy. We just bought, I can't say we just bought like last year, 
We bought an old Rite Aid mm. that we are renovating it into having what we call our pharmacy of tomorrow, how it's going to look like. Uh, so they are really neat clinical services coming that don't require a medical provider, but it will create this medical hub for us. So we are super excited about this project right now. Is it going to be a, a show globe where it's like you'll bring in some of these Avant Institute people to see this? Yes, because, you know, when Avant Institute people were coming for our what's known as advanced learning immersion experience, we always did it in a clinic, right? Yeah. So we had that immersion part that they were in a clinic. We have medical billers. We have this. Now that half of our building is a medical practice and half is the pharmacy oh. side and we have a classroom. So when people come in to learn, they should feel like, OK, I've, I've been here, done this. It's not just a webinar and it's not just theory. These guys are doing it. I've been able to see it firsthand and look at the workflow because everything is good until you know how to make it into a workflow. Out of that 70%, mm -hmm. I think it's a very small percentage of things that you're billing directly as a pharmacy, not through the doctor. What are your hopes and dreams, if there are any, about pharmacists being providers? I have mixed feelings about it. While it sounds great that we can be providers, I feel that we will be limited in the revenue on how these services are going to pay out. What I'm really interested to see is payment reform, okay? Because if pharmacists being considered providers then we are limited to billing at a nurse level. Pharmacist salaries are higher. So the economics is what I'm watching for. So they could say, great, Amina, you're now a provider. You can do this service at your, at your pharmacy, and you're going to be able to only bill level one. Level one is $20, $17. So I'm worried about the economics, but I guess it's the first step. That's why I say I have mixed feelings because right now through collaboration, while I'm not billing under me, but my provider is limitless. <laughs> so economic wise, we are winning together. But once I have to bill it under me, I'm worried. What do you mean limitless? Limitless meaning they can be level four. They can build complexity. And I could spend time with them in that office visit and we could generate $300 versus me by myself. Because their physicians have higher rates? So far, what I've seen in a small scale where pharmacists are credentialed and are billing directly, we can only bill certain levels. Levels are? High complexity, medical complexity. Oh, medical complexity. And along with that is higher pricing. It's not just higher pricing. It's also complexity. Right. So you're allowed to touch patients with higher complexity, right? Because again, just because I'm a provider, a pharmacist provider, they might say I could adjust insulin and bill for it. That's like a nurse visit. I could monitor patients on Warfarin, right? That's a nurse visit. I'm not, because I'm not making medical decision making, I'm wondering how the payment reform is going to happen. Gotcha. 
because there are pharmacists today able to bill under the NPI, but they cannot go above level two. So economics-wise, I'm not sure if we would be in a good position. So that's why I have mixed feelings. Like, I want it, but I hope it goes with payment reform so they understand the pharmacist cost. Yeah, right. And be able to reimburse in a meaningful way. Yeah. And also... I feel like once we become provider, now we're going to have the same stress they have, that we are outcomes based on our own NPIs and yeah. who's going to save me now. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. And then we're going to so, have to help her and pay them. And pay them to yeah. come in and help me. So, <laughs> yeah. yes. So those are my mixed feelings. Our listeners right now, what do they do after listening to this? Are they going to go online? Or what are they going to look up? Are they going to go to Avant Institute online, look things up? Sure. And you know... Uh, many people who've taken our classes, we reject some folks from classes because mm. if you, I want to know that you are going to use this knowledge to transform your business. Mm. Okay. So it's very important. I'm addicted to success rates and we have people doing phenomenal things. So yes, you can explore. We have a lot of free information available. If you're just getting started, you know, learning the language, what are these services and once you get to a possibility of having a provider and you need a team behind you to make this work and that you have someone to come back to and coach you, have that dialogue, design that contract. But if you're still exploring, we have a lot of on-demand courses that you can take at your leisure, learn, and then go out there and find what I say your first partner and then call us because I want to make this happen um, more than you ever believe. We don't want to focus on the negative here, but who would someone be that maybe it's like, this isn't quite the fit for you? Yes, no, we've had uh, people approach us that they are not willing to change, number one, you know? And so I don't want you to take the class and then say I wasn't successful. Right. Right. And also some, they don't have the time to invest in doing the actual process. So if you're just exploring, right, just learn on your own. You don't have to uh, do further investment and have us if you're still exploring. But what I'm looking for is someone say, oh, my goodness, one that I'll never forget. It was a father and a daughter. The father was a physician. The daughter was a pharmacist. Mm. They didn't know they could have worked together. Really? That was a slum dunk for us because they're like, so we helped them design and they're super happy, super successful, fantastic. So if you have low hanging fruit, good relationships with providers, but you just don't know how you're going to make this happen, then you need to come to us. And your website's fantastic. I was on it this morning. And those who are not ready yet can go on. And there's a lot of reading. There's some videos on there that talk about this, about your different classes and things like that. So anybody, whether they're on the fence or not real sure, anybody should be checking out your website and seeing if this might be for them. Sure. And they need to stay tuned. We're having the new classes come out soon. It's called the Masterclass. So we are not just lecturing, but you'll see the videos of behind the scenes. So if you can't travel, we want to give you as much immersion from our experts because our pharmacists are, are truly experts. They've all created their own jobs doing this. Well, Amina, I can see why everybody kept talking about you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. 
no, this was fun. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, this was great. <laughs> yeah, it was a real pleasure talking to you and best wishes on things. It's cool to go on and really have some meat and potatoes. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right, Amina, keep up the good work. We'll be following. All right. My pleasure. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.